1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
0: Now Jim Playfair is getting a penalty. And Jim
1: Playfair just broke a stick over the ice. He has lost his mind. Jim Playfair is throwing the stick on the ice. Unbelievable. He's throwing his jacket off. Jim Playfair is going nuts on Jamie Koharski right now. And the fans are with them. Jim Playfair has absolutely lost it with this referee. Mid-January, welcome back to the Department of Discipline. It has been bitter cold in Western Canada. We're talking, like, deep freeze. And I think George Peros must be on a tropical island somewhere, Jay, because, like, I'm looking around. There's no suspension talk. There's, There's been... We're in the dog days, my man. It is cold. It is miserable. There's like 40 some games gone, 30 some games left. We are now, we are in it. It is the dog days of the NHL season, my friend. And you, I believe even playing hurt today. How are how we doing? We checked in yesterday. Uh, not a good scene.
0: We we're supposed to record yesterday. I don't think I've had a worse flu bug than I had yesterday. Uh, it's been going around and it seems to be a one dayer, but I mean, I'm throwing up left, right and center. I can't move. I've never been in that much pain like body ache wise. And I I reached out to you guys and said, boys, I am not going to cut it today. So uh, we crossed our fingers for today. I'm feeling about 75%, which is much better than last time. But like you said, the dog days of winter, man, that's going to come up and bite you sometimes.
1: Looks like you and my calendar are about the same complexion. There, pretty, pretty pale, Rosie. Get some <laughs> yeah, sun. I know you, you need a vacation like George's right now. He he sent the memo out. Everyone play clean for a week. I'm on vacation. We don't have any dirty hits to talk about. Scraps are okay this week. Nothing magnificent, but we do have an excellent opportunity for a little story time. Behavior's good. The stories will will be better hopefully. Let's let's start with uh where guys are at this time of year. Now, what was your career high in fights for a season and what was sort of a normal number? Cuz you played in an era where it was a lot and then it went away and now we're starting to see fighting come back a little more.
0: Yeah, I think the American League, I think I had 33 fights, oh. something like that. Yeah, it was a lot. It was uh looking back and you look at the leaders now at like 7 in the dog days like I'm blowing past 20 at that point in time. And Jeez. it's funny. It was a different era. I don't know why it was that way. I remember my dad calling down to me and, you know, I was after I got in three fights in one night and he's like, what the hell is going on down there? Because... What are you doing, Jake? I didn't really go out to do that. I wasn't that my whole career. I just, I made a position change from defense to forward. Mm-hmm. You know, after that 2004-05 lockout there in that area, they had obstruction and all the different uh, new rules coming in to open up the game and You know, the reason I got drafted and was playing, you know, two years in the American Hockey League as a defenseman was, you know, I could can opener guys. I could grab them by the collar and ride them into the corner and bury them. And, you know, I was that force in the D zone and around the net. And that's kind of was my M.O. And all of a sudden I get to, you know, the American League my first year and they have obstruction and they're using like there was a point where if your stick came in between a player's legs, It didn't have to trip him up. He didn't have to fall. He didn't have to lose the puck. Your stick goes between his leg. The arm goes up. And they were using the American League as kind of a, a testing grounds for these new obstruction rules and penalties that they were testing out. And it was awful, man. I mean, I was sitting here going, this is my bread and butter here. So two years of that. And, uh. Made the change to forward, which I played a lot of growing up. And once I moved to forward, you know, I could skate well enough to get on that four check. And I just love chasing that puck down. And <laughs> and I just I knew from being a defenseman, you know, how bad it is when you're going back for the puck and you can just hear the guy's skates behind you. It's brutal. So I'm like, I'm gonna do that to every guy that I play against. And fuck, you run around like that, and and the big boys just come knock and they do not accept that very well. And all of a sudden, okay, I'll fight this guy, okay, I'll fight that guy. And then that guy saw the video or saw the, the game sheet and says, hey, tough guy, we're going tonight. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm not our tough guy. And all of a sudden I was. And, yeah. you know, a few years later, I
1: got 25 in a year, 33 in a year. And it was a lot of scraps. Total unintended consequences. Rule changes in the NHL probably change the position you play more than anything else. Allow you to find a niche role in the NHL. Like did the rule changes that you thought might take your job away actually give you a job in the NHL in a weird way? It's weird. I didn't look at it that
0: way. I mean, Tampa had drafted so many big defensemen after they won the Stanley Cup in 2004. And 05 is the lockout. Then I signed my first year is 05-06. And Tampa's depth chart was just full of big defensemen. And You know, you're trying to make your way in there and find your niche in the game. But all of a sudden, it's a completely different game. You have to adjust like crazy. There's tons of competition. Um, None of these guys are going up to the NHL too much and and working out because of the new rule changes. And the game changed so much. And Tampa took a little while to figure that out. They were pretty high on their horse with what they did to win the Stanley Cup. And they were going to do that no matter what. And it wasn't working out. So with the depth chart being that crazy, it was kind of like, the writing's on the wall. You can play forward where we were a lot thinner or you can keep battling out in this and, and battling all these first and second rounders trying to get to the NHL and, and fighting them as it is. So I said, I know how to play some forward and and went out there and did that. And I never really played another game defensively. I, I just think my skating was what got me there. Still, when I played forward, I wasn't getting called up. Wasn't getting the opportunities. They wouldn't seem to want to trade me or anything. And I said, well, screw this. I'm going to make some noise. I'm going to separate myself from the pack. I'm going to make a name for myself. And I just played as hard as I could. And and what was a byproduct of that was just scrapping like crazy. It wasn't an intentional thing. But when you play, I loved running around. I loved hitting. I loved running guys. I liked open ice hits. I liked when the bench went bananas when you put a guy right on his ass and when you do that, man, the big boys come and they did. And it all just kind of happened at once. It was kind of organic. And like I said, people that knew me and, you know, I always played tough and rugged, but to be fighting that much and like leading the American League and fights and stuff. Like I said, my dad was like, what's going on down there? And I remember, you know, just think, saying, I don't know. I really don't know. But this is the only way that I feel like I'm going to um, make a name for myself and get the hell out of here and give myself a chance while the years are ticking by. I need to get up to that big league. and." Uh, this is just what I got on my plate right now.
1: And you're right. What you th- saw as the lay of the land is correct. That, that got you a gig. You did a great job at it. We flashed the the fight leaders right now in 2023-24. Uh, last week was the official midpoint of the season in terms of total games played in the NHL. We're halfway there. Andreas England of the LA Kings has seven fights to lead the way. Three other guys have six. And there's 10 guys in the league that have eclipsed five fights. That's it those aren't easy jobs. Those aren't easy things to do. But when you start talking about 33 in a season, 25 in a season, that is nuts. So what is your body like? Are you needing a bunch of work? Are you like, Hey coach, like, give me a game or two here. Like I'm not feeling great. Is it just like pure adrenaline? Wake me when the season ends, I'm just in zombie mode. Like what, what, what is your body going through and how are you feeling as you're essentially on the pace to fight like once a week, men, it's a lot of little things. Like I was lucky. I didn't get tagged real bad. Um,
0: like you're breaking your jaw and breaking your nose and breaking your orbital bones and things like that. I, I never, well, that'll shelf you. You're done, right? Yeah. But- I was able to stay away from that kind of thing. It's the Nicky nack things. I mean, your, your hands are just beat to shit. They're cut open. Yeah. Pictures that you can see of, um, they just get cracked open and you fight one game and you blow that thing up and you take care of it as the best you can, but you got a three and three, you got to play the next day and to, you're not allowed to fight when you have any coverings on your hand or you get big time suspensions is like putting the foil on as a big no, no. So I had to have all those, you know, knuckles and cuts and abrasions exposed in your sweaty gloves. So, It was weird. I mean, you get Jersey burn along your neck from when the guy's tugging on your Jersey, it just goes back and forth like a saw. Like I'd have blood coming down my neck from the Jersey burn. And then of course that scabs up and it's, it's some ugly stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it's ticky tack stuff that it's like, yeah, it's a, it's painful but it's nothing that's going to like prevent you from doing anything and once you get back into the game and warm up you're feeling your hands in those gloves going good lord you're just kind of laughing going what a gong show and then the game starts and i mean you don't even think about it again and away you go and there's times where you have cuts on top of other cuts and do we stitch this or just leave it and I have a picture there where it's just a bunch of jersey jabs you know where they're taking your jersey and jabbing you just scrapes the living shit out of your face and yeah. shiners left right and center it's it's that kind of stuff but like I said it's not major major things where you need to be injured or out of the lineup and I can't imagine you know get in a fight and having you know this little cut here, scrape there. And you're like, Hey coach, I need a day (laughs) off. He'd look at you back then. Like you had three heads and saying, well, this gig ain't for you then. See you later. So
1: I was thinking concussion. Like if you know, you got your bell rung, there might be like, Hey, like for example, I know times are a little different now in November, I was down in Palm Springs and saw that Alex Gallant, who plays for the Wranglers in the AHL. And he's, he had a monster fight on the Friday and it was a day or two later. And He was up in the press box. They gave him a night, probably in 2023, 24 team saying, give him a breather. He took a couple heavy ones, but back then, maybe not. Yeah. I mean, it just depends. Depends who your
0: coach is, how valued you are. I could see that happening. The concussions are funny, man. Like we still, to this day, it's such a gray area. We don't know really what exactly a concussion is we don't know how to diagnose them properly there's no real treatment i mean it would be ideal if you could go into a machine like an x-ray and be like yep right there see that line that's a concussion you need to take four to six weeks off but it's not it's like i've seen guys get absolutely destroyed where it looks like they were in a car accident they might Mm -hmm. be dead And they pop up and they're like, geez, and they keep playing that shift. And then I see a guy just kind of get one of these like a little like doesn't even get his head hit, but his neck kind of jolts a little whiplashy thing. And he's out for weeks, and he's got severe concussion syndromes. He can't look at his phone, yeah. can't have the lights on, can't watch TV. He's got to sit in the dark all the time, and it just—it really seems to be up to the individual on how that works. It's got nothing to do with toughness, nothing no. to do with battling guys' brains. We don't know anything about the brain, and when they get rattled around, I think we're still trying to figure out what that means, what what we can do for precautionary reasons, what we can do for you know rehabilitation, but. Back then, and even before that, we knew what concussions were. I mean, 10, 12 years before that, it was called getting your bell wrong, and it meant absolutely nothing. At least we had some understanding of what a concussion was. You watched out for it. But I just think I'm kind of one of the lucky ones where, you know, I'd get whacked in the head a lot, and I didn't seem to have any aftershock effects of it. I didn't have the big headaches. I didn't have my vision go blurry. Uh, Bright lights didn't bother me. Loud noises didn't bother me. And like I said, you're fighting that much it's got nothing to do with toughness or anything. There's other guys that just have a few little rattles around and they're, they're buggered up and it's not because they're weak and it's not because they're, they're pulling the chute. It's just the way the brain works. So it's funny that all these years later, we're still trying to figure out what a concussion is, how to diagnose it, what the ramifications of them are. And, mm. you know, you're looking at these guys post-retirement that go off the rails and are acting really odd and suicides and addictions and all these crazy things. And, they open up the brain and say, well, look at all of this shit. You know, it's uh, mm. the brain's a funny thing. And uh, even modern science can't quite figure out this concussion thing. But with a contact sport that we play, it's what you can do is, is do your best to take care of it and, and watch out and do your best to, you know, avoid all of that negative stuff that happens to your brain. But it's pretty difficult in a sport like hockey.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. Like it's we, we don't know a ton A bone breaks. We can give you the timetable on weeks till it's right. Brain at that, you know, to your point, some guys careers are ended and other guys pop up from stuff you thought would end careers. Uh, you yeah. don't know. We've got that leaderboard up a little earlier. Two of the guys on it scrapped Pat Maroon, Nick Delorier. This is not our fight of the week, but it is two of the tougher guys in the league, two of the fights leaders and two of the guys that I think they have jobs in the league because they fight. There's not a lot of those guys these days, but these are two. Nick led the league in fighting a few years ago. Pat Maroon is at the very tail end. The foot speed's pretty pretty not great right now, but he still understands how a fight can impact a game. This is Philly, Minnesota. Philly's trying to hang on to a playoff spot, and Minnie is just absolutely devastated by injuries. At one point a couple of weeks ago, Jay, they had more money not on the ice than on the ice out of their cap. Less than half their cap was on the ice as they fielded the team, so they're having a tough go this year for a club that was well over 100 points two years ago and 103 last year. So. Two, two guys that know what they're doing talk about setting the tone it's maroon and the these are two experienced heavyweights laurier little defense early watch out now he takes the upper hand and he takes maroon down and two seconds in aj the tone's been set
0: well it's a scrap to me that just screams like hey like buddy buddy let's uh should we get when they both have reasons to do it like you said they're both in certain positions with their team but they kind of chat to each other there's no animosity or anything and i mean they're both very technically sound you can see they both got wicked grabs they're both stretched out completely and i mean some of these punches aren't even coming across the halfway mark you know it's there's not a lot of bad blood there they're not hating on each other they don't want to kill each other there they're both just doing the job trying to spark their bents for their respective reasons but to me, this is a scrap that's, you know, it's very thought out and both of them had their reasons to go about it and it, there was not a lot of animosity and hatred there. Both of them were on the same page. I mean, sometimes, you know, you bury one of your teammates or the guy gets gets a little spear, uh, a punch in the face or you're pissed off and the blood's boiling over and you fight and you're both wanting to kill each other and it's hard to stop when the guy goes down and you're motherfucking each other after the after the scrap and chirping back and forth in the penalty box. That was not one of them. Yeah. Like you said, two veteran guys that know exactly what they're doing. And the scrap kind of said that as well. It was a pretty thought-out, meditated thing that they just did for their team reasons, not personal at all.
1: That was tactical. That was a lot of defense. Deloria does twist Maroon around twice. He kind of gets behind him a bit, but that almost a no-hitter for for two guys that really could hurt an inexperienced fighter
0: yeah and and like you say those guys know their job they're very understanding of of what's going on and what needs to happen so they both decided it was time to go and like there's a reason that's not the fight of the week right the the Mm -hmm. adrenaline level wasn't exactly through the roof and you know sometimes you have those and you know sometimes it's just a wake-up call a reset button the bench is just nothing's happening you're you're skating on your heels and the ice is tilted. You just need to stop the game, have this little scrap and look at the boys and say, let's go boys. I just put myself in a position mm-hmm. to get hurt. Who knows what happened? It's not easy to do that. Many guys are not willing to do that. Let's fucking go. You go to the bench, sit in five minutes and, and come back out. And hopefully there's a different outlook on the game, a different mindset, a different momentum shift. And that's just both, what both those guys were looking for in that one. As far as I'm concerned.
1: That's fair. Okay. So I do want to talk. It's funny. One, one to another, Joe Thornton, it was announced uh, this week, his number 19 is going to get retired in San Jose. So there's a, there's an iconic personality of the sport. So I immediately text you, hey, do you, do you have any great jumbo stories? You obviously didn't play with him, but you probably would have laced up out of conference maybe once or twice a year against Joe, depending on how things goes. And you're like, ah, I don't really have that. And then, but then I I, re- I did some Thornton Rosehill Googling. You know Sean Thornton really well. And so same name, different cat, different job you guys fought a ton and you said, yeah, that might've been the guy you fought more than anyone else in your career.
0: Yeah, I think it was, I think it was Sean Thornton. I think we had about four fights. Eric Bolton might be up there close, but but I think Thornton might take the cake with that. And I mean, I mean, it just makes sense playing for Toronto. They have a rivalry with Boston. We play them all the time, a team you're going to face all the time and then switch into Philadelphia you know, those are two historic teams with a lot of, you know, meat and potatoes behind them and a culture that likes that style of play. And me and Thornton always came across each other. And after getting to know this guy, he's a little older than me, a little more veteran presence, but man, he was uh, just a fantastic veteran guy who helped me out in more ways than one talking about fighting after the fight, before the fight, some off ice activity as well. And there were some bouts that we had for sure. And he's a class act all the way.
1: So you had noted once we got talking about Thornton that, that Sean had, you said, watch this one, this one fight. And I believe it goes back to 2010 and you're running around, just absolutely drilling anything that moves. Walk us through uh, what happened here. Cause I believe this one would win one of your first, if not your first against uh, Sean Thornton. Rose throws his weight around it again and just level Gregory Campbell. And that's going to start a fight. Sean Thornton had seen enough. Rose Hill was a one-man wrecking crew on his shift. Those are two great hits. If you're going to get called up and want to play in the National Hockey League, that's what you have to do. Understand your role. Rose Hill does an excellent job of doing it. And this is a tough customer. He's fighting
0: i was running around like a maniac hitting everything i could see and finally i buried that campbell right against the boards and on the replay you can see the boards just flex like just run and then uh came in there and he said rosie i can't allow that and he shed him and luke shen tried to jump in too but i was like no shenner i got this but i mean when you're running around like that your legs are burning you're out of gas and you're huffing and puffing like crazy and authority to his credit said grabbed onto me and before he started throwing he goes grab some wind, Rosie, grab some wind, grab your breath. And I took like three deep breaths and then I nodded and said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go. And away we went. And he looks over at me after and he goes, Hey, you know what to do. And I can appreciate that type of thing. And, you know, just a class act on his part, he could have grabbed me. And I think on the replay, you see me just running around trying to get a piece of everybody out there. And I think this last one against Campbell, it was just the last straw for Thornton. He can't be out there at the same time as me watching when, uh, when a guy's running around like that, you don't see that too much anymore. But he grabs me there, and Schenner tries, and I said, "No, no." But I mean, what a class act of a guy that knows the role, respected me, which I really appreciated. And for a guy to say, "Hey, grab your win, get your win before we have a, a bare knuckle fight," is just too hilarious for me. And I took a few deep breaths, like I said, and gave him the head nod. Okay, let's go. And could have been a better fight, but with me just barely holding on to any strength was uh, pretty cool of him. I always remembered that and gave him a head nod in the penalty box saying, thanks for that. It could have been a little uglier for me if he handled it differently.
1: Yeah. And you know what? There is this sort of common thread amongst many of the tough guys and not all, but the guys code is too strong, but there's a, there's a huge mutual respect and there is a, yes, I'm going to punch you, but like we want to make sure that this is even Steven, this is fair. And that nothing puts someone at such a disadvantage where it's like, Maybe you're worried about retribution. Maybe it's about I wouldn't want it happening to me. But there just seems to be huge respect, and and for there, there would have been some guys that are like, I got him at the end of the shift. He is dead, but he didn't do that to you. No, he didn't.
0: He's he's a class act. And there's a different fight where I like I slipped and fell down and like i was totally caught backwards, and he's the guy that would let you up so you could keep going. You know, and mm-hmm. I I learned from that and it's a weird thing, man. You say someone from Australia comes up and sees their first hockey game and sees that they'd be like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Why are you guys bare knuckle fighting in the middle of a sporting event? First of all. And then why are you patting each other on the back after and smiling like your friends? Like it makes no sense, but it's just an odd thing. And I think that's what I love so much about hockey is that culture and that understanding that isn't normal. It isn't seen in everyday life, but it, absolutely exists and it exists in such a awesome way that these men can have this unwritten respect for each other to the point where yeah you're you're going to war bare knuckle fighting but you'll give the guy the respect not to want to cheap shot him not to want to you know get him when he's down or take advantage of anything you want it to be even the mutual respect and whether it like you said is if it's uh, what goes around comes around or if it's just uh You know, you just have too much respect for the other guy. I don't know, but the culture of the whole scrapping thing and when guys do it all the time, and like we said, how much you don't know a guy like me and Thordy would have been fighting at the time. You go through the the big ones. You're fighting the ones where you literally want to kill the guy. You got the other ones that are kind of, you know, planned or for a reason that aren't exactly, you know, kind of like that maroon fight and Delorier fight. It's just, to me, an odd culture that I look back on and just smile because it's so unique and it's quite pure and it happened organically. No one's telling anyone what to do. It just happens like that all the time with this role. It's kind of a beautiful thing, really. And I'm, I've been saddened to, to see it get uh, minimized more and more as time goes on.
1: Yeah, and we are seeing a bit of resurgence of it, especially the organic stuff. I, I think it it had gotten to a point with the stage stuff off the whistle opening draw yep. where you're like, there's no animosity here. This is just, you know, you may as well put a circus tent over this and this doesn't need to be a part of hockey necessarily. This could be just a fighting exhibition. There, there, there wasn't that natural release the game needed. And so I, I think they pr- the game probably overcorrected, but I, I like where it's at right now. We, we've we got skill players fighting. We saw Yossi and Dabrinket fight last week. We had JT Miller with his first fight of the season last week. Like it's, I like when uh, it's organic and you fight because you're pissed and because someone crossed the line and maybe you're not happy with the officials or maybe it's you can't treat my teammate that way. I'm sticking up for him.
0: Yeah, I like it too. Like I really like it when the guys that don't scrap go out there and scrap. It's uh, Like you said, it was getting a little bit stale there around what the hell would it have been, like maybe 2007, 8, that kind of era into the 2010s. Guys got huge, right? Yeah, like Laroque was was mic'd up to a guy, comes off and we going, okay, square up, you bet. Good luck. And it was just like a day at the office. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, yeah. he was mic'd up, so that went viral and everyone's like, I can't believe that. But to me, I'm just like, That doesn't really sum up what it is to me. That's Mm -hmm. so staged. Just zero emotion to it. It's not what it entails, and it's not what uh, I would want to be, you know, on display for what that role entailed. That's a prime example of how things got out of control with the staged fighting and the meatheads that couldn't speak. Not talking about LaRock being that way. He he wasn't... uh, exactly that way but the way that one went down was always a an eye roller to me because it didn't really sum up the the role in any way shape or form it to me it showed the the precipice of where it got out of control and, and why it needed to change
1: yeah that that, that sort of stuff led to the rule changes and to you know the, the position of enforcer kind of disappearing for a while uh, if not, so. if not entirely. Uh, so that that's one fight with Sean Thornton. I found another one, Jack. I said, okay, let's go find Jack's. Our producer does a great job. I said, let's go find a good uh, Thornton Roseland. He's like, oh, this one's got over a hundred thousand views on YouTube. So I, we, we're assuming this is greatest hits. It's Boston Toronto again. It may as well be a, a hockey night in Canada game or something. Like you could see this this matters here. Rose Hill and Thornton drawing punches and- Trying to come through with a right hand as well. And Rose and Thornton. Two young men. Thornton the former. Might believe found him.
0: Yeah, like here's a spirited one. Um, I can't remember what the what the details were, but I, I think this might have been my first fight with Thornton, to be honest okay. with you. And, I mean, I didn't <laughs> I I didn't go to the lefties on that. I thought that we both had decent enough grabs to be able to, you know, connect with each other and it wasn't going to be a shitty one. I might switch at the end. I don't know. But I remember thinking, Ooh, this is a big boy and he knows what he's doing. And you can tell both of our shit spiked there and center ice too. uh, I think that was our first one, but yeah, you know, anytime you fight a guy like him, you got your hands full. Berkey's loving it. I remember asking him authority. I need one here. I need one. Randy Carlisle had just been hired. He here we go yeah and yeah. he's going rosy my eyes blown up he just got stitches the night before and I said, I'll owe you one if you uh if you give me this one. So we we shed. <laughs> and, and I I believe that's why I didn't go left, because I think his right eye had stitches over it. Okay. So I stayed to my right. What a guy. And didn't do my typical <laughs> going to my left thing because I respected the guy so much. He drops his gloves with me when he kind of said no. But I was like, I really need one. Like Randy Carlisle is not my best friend. Yeah. I need to stay in the lineup. And he go and he just, yeah, okay, I get where you're at. He dropped them and I owed him one after that. I remember I don't think I hit him in the in the eye too much, but it broke open anyway. It was bleeding. I was kind of apologetic in the penalty box saying "I that's a tough bounce. Like, like we talked about at the beginning of the show, you got fresh zippers in your eye. Everything's yeah. kind of stinging and hurting. And the last thing you need to do when it's feeling like that is get punched right in the goddamn eye that you just got closed up with stitches. So shows the level of his toughness and, and understanding. And I just, I couldn't have any more respect for that guy than I do. I think that's uh, one of the reasons I went to him all the time. Cause I knew it was going to be a good honest tilt.
1: Yeah. And that's interesting. So, uh, so I think I had my dates backwards. One was 2010. One was 2012. That's obviously your first one. When you look at the coaching change and uh, you, you walk through the scenario. I also think you, we saw your right hand. That might've been the same year as the photo that other fight, which would have been 2012. Maybe those dates are right. But like, it there's a, be, man. There's a, a big gash arc, right? on that right knuckle. And you, the photo we showed earlier, there was, that's where you were stitched up. Anyway, there, there's a lot of fights in there. I can't imagine, you know, you remember all, geez, like 100 or whatever it would be with you if you did 33 and 25 in back to back years. Jesus.
0: They add up. I think someone asked me and we went through, I don't know, there's different sites. I always liked hockeyfights.com. They're so good at keeping up with everything, but your fight card just counts your regular season fights, but sure. I mean, yeah. I've I've been in fights in in preseason. You know, you get in fights in practice. You get in fights in conditioning camp in the <laughs> summertime, and I mean, they all hurt the same, but if you add them up i think i'm in up there at like 160 170 fights in in the lifetime and if i were to say that to my kids or if my kids gotten that many i would just think it was completely unacceptable but (laughs) it just shows the culture and and the way things were it didn't seem like a big deal at the time and i don't think you'll see anyone do that anymore but uh and there's plenty of guys with a hell of a lot more than me too like some absolute meats but um you know, just the hockey back then, it was just a faction of the game that was so unique. And I enjoyed doing it, to be honest with you. There was some jitters in the stomach and some butterflies. You'd get anxiety sometimes about certain things that are coming down the pike. But at the end of the day, I was proud to do what I did. I enjoyed being in it. There was no better feeling than being right in the middle of that. I mean, you're just eyes are so wide and the lights are shining, and the crowd screaming. and you're going through that and you know you earn the respect of your teammates who aren't willing to do that and guys pat you on the back after and you, you see it affect your team in a positive way and guys play a little bigger when you're in the lineup and guys don't mess around when you're in the lineup and things like that you're kind of proud of it and the fact that you can you, you can bring that to your team is something you can kind of hang your hat on even though it's not the biggest most important part of the team by any stretch it's it's something I was proud of doing
1: well, and I just think about where you started. You're you're in Tampa, the game's changing, you're you're stuck behind a huge backlog of big defensemen, you switch to forward. You know, how how am I gonna get to the NHL? And all of a sudden you find this niche role. And it's not just you get there, but it's like everyone it leaves their feet and is cheering, losing their mind when you're doing your work at center ice. You go from no name in the American League trying to figure out what position you got a better shot to get the league, to suddenly being like, a star of one of the biggest couple hockey markets in the world. Like, if you're a tough guy on one of these teams, scrapping as much as you did, you're beloved. Everybody loves the tough guy because no one, except very few on earth, have the balls to do it. Everyone respects the gig. You'd be a rock star, you know, just months after being a nobody in a weird way. Pretty buried in Tampa, switched to playing forward. And out of the blue, we were in Syracuse, New
0: York. I got called up to the coach's hotel room. He said, You're getting traded to Toronto. It was a shock, but I was also excited to go to um, a different organization, someone that might give me a chance. And, you know, I finished out the season there and um, signed a two year extension with them before I went home and went back to camp that next fall and made the Maple Leafs out of training camp. So things happened quick. And I knew that the peaks and valleys in hockey they were big. You don't want to get too high when things are going good, but when it's low and you're in a valley, it looks like it'll never change. You can't see a way out of it, and boom, one day it just happens, and I mean, I remember talking to Luke Shen, a good buddy of mine. I had just retired, and Luke Shen was going through some rough times. Came into the league as an 18-year-old hockey player and, you know, has kind of always been a star, and he's finding himself in the minors for the first time ever after over a decade in the league. And I was talking to him. He's thinking about quitting, and is this worth it? I'm away from my family. I said, dude, the peaks and the valleys in this game – change very quickly I said stick with it you're gonna have a resurgence do not give up on this it looks like it's a million miles away right now but things change quick and then boom he pulled out of it found a spot that wanted him and his career is I mean he's gonna be a 18 year veteran with two Stanley Cups that's wild yeah yeah it's outrageous I mean he almost quit man because when the going gets tough it's ugly I mean he gets sent down to Utica New York wasn't exactly the prettiest place in the world his family he's got pregnant wives new babies they can't come they can't travel he's banging it out in this minor league he's thinking what am i doing he's thinking about you know the money he's made the games he's played the memories he has he's like is this good enough maybe i can call her a day and move on to the next chapter if that's what this game's telling me right now and i'm not saying i changed his mind necessarily but i was like dude you better think long and hard and and give it time because things change very quickly and you know Tampa came knocking. He ends up with them. Has a resurgence where teams are realizing the value of a you know a rugged defenseman like Luke is, and boom, two Stanley Cups later, multiple contracts, a couple different teams, and he's just he's just kicking ass again. So it just goes to show that things do change quick. And you know to a young pro that might be listening to this, I mean, stick with it, and if you believe in yourself and you can get by doing it, don't give up because man, a quick trade or a quick coaching change. Things happen very fast, and it can change your whole life and the trajectory of your career in a hurry. I've seen it multiple times.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do
0: the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little.
1: You know, like you talked about scrapping against Luchich. Like you do that. It's, you know, everyone's seeing it in the league. You're like, holy crap. Like how, how did that happen? And then there's other times you just get beat up. You're walking around in public. You got a huge black eye. People don't look at you in the face. Like that role, especially I think keeps you humble. And I think that's why there's that great respect amongst fighters. Cause everyone understands the highs are great, but everyone understands the lows and that like, you can't walk around as a dick without getting absolutely crushed doing that job. It keeps you humble, I believe. So, I mean, tell me about one where you just absolutely got it handed to you and you're like, man, like, what am I doing?
0: Yeah, I'll. uh I can tell you, man. Y- you you stay humble because no matter how you're doing, you can go through periods where you're pumping everyone, you're you're winning every fight. Guys are scared of you. Guys are cowering away when you come into a scrum, looking at their skates and just <laughs> terrified. And can make you feel like you're on top of the mountain. But there's a reason I never did the old "Whoa, look at the belt!" and "Do do do." You know, after a fight, because. I always knew that it's you're just one swing away from getting put right in your place. And, you know, that's where a lot of the butterflies came from about fighting is, you know, I know I can say I'm fighting Thornton again and he's in the lineup and I've already fought him. I know I can handle him. I know that, you know, we're well matched or whatever, but it just takes one shot, one mistake to get who knows like your are orbital bone broken your jaw broken get knocked out have concussion problems for the rest of your life you know that's always in the back of your mind and it always keeps you humble at least it should yeah. but I remember a game um unassuming game for the most part uh, I was with Toronto we're playing in Tampa Bay and you know I want to have a good game against Tampa they had drafted me it didn't work out I wanted to show that I'm I'm useful and I get in a fight with this guy named Matt Walker and he kind of kept to himself. Didn't put himself out there as a, a big fighter, but I had guys on the team that were my buddies and they said, this Walker guy has got a right hand like nobody else. And you know, you can see in the fight, we're going around, I'm trying to get it and he stays very patient. He was very strong. I'm trying to get a grip on it. And it's almost like my adrenaline didn't spike. I go left for a second and go to switch. And it was just a sloppy, slow switch that was totally readable. And, he reached back, he had that thing cocked for a long time and kaboom, he hit me, you know, I knew what had happened. I all of a sudden just kind of get my bearings when you're on your ass on the ground. I knew I got tagged, but it hit me in the side of the helmet, right where your that piece goes over your temple and just put me on my ass. I mean, you don't get hit that hard and and not end up on your ass. And I popped up and I was like, no, God, no, please, no. Like, I tried to pop up and, and keep going and salvage the fight and not make that the end of it. But when you get knocked down like that, the the refs are in there in a big hurry. Yeah. But I, I remember thinking back like that night going – If that had landed in my nose or my my jaw or my orbital bone, like I I could... Or you lost your bucket. Think of you lost your bucket, Rosie, right? Exactly. It must have hurt his hand, but I've never been punched that hard. And I'm lucky as hell that it hit that piece of my helmet because I remember how hard it hit me. And if that was anywhere on my face, it would have broken a lot of stuff and, and caused some damage. So... I just always consider myself lucky to have never been knocked out quote unquote. I've never been unconscious on the ice. I've never been KO'd. You know, I used to knock on wood when I said that, I guess I don't have to worry about it anymore, but I just got lucky where, you know, you look at those fights, those knockouts. I mean, you know, Todd Fedorik is never going to be the same after Bugard. his, Mm. his whole side of his face. Like he's involved with Philadelphia when I was there still up in the management side of things. And Bugard. Cratered the side of his face. He's got plates and pins all over because, and his eye is still sagging and not working properly because of a punch in a hockey fight. And, you know, that's always the worry when you go against those tough guys. And, you know, you just got to be able to feel when those punches are coming, be able to protect yourself. I mean, I ate so many, I almost had cauliflower starting in my ears for like those MMA guys, because I would, I was pretty good at feeling when a guy was throwing. Yeah. Yeah. You turn, turn the head and you eat him in the ear. And after repetitive knocks to the ear, I started feeling like, still feels like this cauliflower stuff coming up. I was like, Jesus, man, like how many times you got to get punched in the ear? But, uh, you know, that was a day for me where, a low point in my fighting career. And honestly, looking back at it, I mean, if that was the worst, it God, I consider myself very lucky. That was a terrible game for me. I believe Matt Walker even stepped up on me on the blue line to knock me on my ass on with a hit after the fact. Cause I was, I wasn't myself after that. My confidence took a big hit. And for the rest of that game, he caught me, put me on my ass and Orzee had to jump him and scrap him again. So you know, a big night for him, a tough night for me, especially being my old team and not faring well. And, uh, in a scrap i wasn't used to losing that convincingly and a night to forget for sure but i mean if you fight long enough you're gonna have those everyone's got their story and like i said if that's as bad as it got i consider myself lucky because you know a lot of it is luck man when guys are swinging wild haymakers with bare knuckles and you're on skates it's it's just lucky whether you get tagged in the right spot or not
1: Okay. So you say that's a tough night. Like when are you back to yourself? Is it the next game? Is it the practice the next day? Is it a week where you're just not quite right? Or, or does it sort of, is it, would that be totally different situation to situation?
0: You go through the rest of the day and, not, uh, you know, you, after the game, you're, you're just, you're just low, man. You keep reliving that fight in your head, don't you? you do you're it just sinks in what happened and then a pit in your stomach forms every time you rethink you think about it and your phone's blowing up on what happened rosie and is that guy that tough and oh how are you feeling your dad's asking you all right man like you took a pretty good shot like should you get checked out and like god damn it you just want it to go away and you want to stop and you go to practice and you're going through it and yeah you're just feeling low but To me, it was like I have to get another one under my belt to move on from that longer period of time that goes by where you have a tough one that you don't get another one that's the only thing on your mind that's the latest memory of of doing that is that big negative thing that big monster creeping over your head that's weighing on you so I'm not sure when my next one would have been but it would have been as fast as possible the first opportunity I had I would have got out there and I would have just unloaded the tank and made sure it was a good one to kind of reset and get back to where I like to be and and leave that behind and yeah I'd probably be a week before you get over it and as soon as you get one under your belt again that goes better, you're kind of turning the page, so to speak. But you know, living with that is an ugly feeling. And i that's kind of why I went so guns blazing right off the bat. I couldn't sit back. And we've talked to different guests and whatnot about how we scrapped. John Scott had a different mentality and, and strategy than me. And mine was just unload, go haywire as hard and as fast as you can. Just like you're almost screaming. You're throwing so hard and fast, trying to just make sure that you don't have one of those hiccups where you feel like shit after you're out. It's demoralizing. It's embarrassing. It's humiliating to be, say, in a visitor's rink. Drop your gloves. Everything stops. Everyone looks at you. You get put down and the crowd's going bananas and their bench is going crazy. And you got to pick yourself up off the ice and saunter over to the penalty box. It's fucking humiliating. And I don't think there's a worse feeling that I've ever had. And for that reason is why I tried my best to make sure I, I lived that as little as humanly possible.
1: You mentioned earlier, I didn't want to lose it. It's it's probably a ways back, but uh, you mentioned you scrapped in practice. Those are always interesting, and it happens more than people not around the sport would think. You don't have pre- televised practices. No one sits down and pops popcorn to, to watch practice, but it happens, and sometimes it's, it's, it's something that is good for a team, and other times it can be the sign of a really, really bad room. What was the circumstance around some of yours, or was there one? Like what stands out when I say fight and practice?
0: yeah i mean it's just weird things happen it is hockey right and i mean i remember in conditioning skate and in the i was in junior and we were just playing to get ready for camp and you get into a bit of a, a scrum in the corner a shoving match digging for a puck and one guy gives a shot and the other guy's not gonna leave the guy with the last word so to speak and you give him a shot and another shot and there's nothing left to do but you shed your shit and away you go and Then afterwards, like you're in the parking lot and you kind of chuckle and you yell over to him, getting in his car and laughing about it because it's over now. It's like it's compartmentalized within that rink inside of those boards. It is a different world. And once you're outside of them, you're different. And I think that's why you see some of these guys that are just killers on the ice. And it's like a scary human being. And then afterwards, you're doing like an autograph signing and he's, you know, on his knees talking to some girl signing her little teddy bear, a six year old and taking pictures and taking extra time. And they're sweethearts. You know, it's it's very compartmentalized. And, you know, I've been in a fight in practice where I think when I was younger coming up, I I had a lot to learn. I, I didn't I don't know. I just I didn't turn it off like I'd hit guys in practice. I'd play game speed all the time. And guys weren't really used to this I remember this guy named uh Brandon Elliott he was a big guy coming out of the O and I think we were in Springfield and he was coming down the wall and tried to go wide and I just I just cut it off and and buried him And he got up and he was just in shock and he punched me in the face so I just spring loaded my shit off and we had a scrap and (laughs) that was early on and I went lefts on him and and went like jackrabbit fast lefts on him and afterwards he's like holy fuck Rosie you should do that more often I got hit more times than I could count before <laughs> I even know what was happening and I was like oh yeah maybe I should do it a little bit more
1: but what's the team reaction like does the coach talk to you is the GM on the phone is it, are the boys like whoa what's happening there or is like oh this is good these guys care absolutely nothing it's two men
0: they sorted it out I mean if if it was a big FU match and throwing water bottles at each other and go fuck yourself and then some guy leaves practice early Oh yeah, you got a yeah, problem yeah. on your hands. This is unresolved problems. The GM will get involved, the coach will get involved. Do we have to have a meeting? Does one guy need to get traded? Like wh- who's who started this? Who's in the wrong? Who's in the right? Big problems. Two guys go up to each other, don't like something and then scrap. And then afterwards you're taking your shin pads off and you're kind of chuckling about it and give him a tap on the, you know, on the ass after and be like, "Hey, fuck, shouldn't have hit you there." And he's like, "No, no, hard feelings I was having. I got my own shit going on. I was kind of pissed off about other stuff. All good." no one needs to get involved. No one needs to solve any problems. Those two men just solved them themselves. Yeah. It's nice that, you know, it can go that way. I know that, you know, in other f- forms of life, violence is not the answer. So it's odd <laughs> to talk about. But like I said, within those boards on that sheet of ice, it's it's a different world and there's a different set of rules. And it's, like I said, what makes that part of the game so beautiful to me. I just absolutely love that. I grew up liking that. The Rock'em Sock'ems we used to watch that me and my brother just wide-eyed watching them over and over until the VHS tape was worn out you know it mm-hmm. uh i just really like that that part of the game it was beautiful to me and like you say you got two guys respecting each other guys patting each other on the back guys doing something they wouldn't do because they can put themselves in the other guys shoe and realize what they're going through two guys fight and they laugh and pat each other on the back and it's all over and they realize they're both going through things and tempers just Flared up. It doesn't even have to be animosity against each other personally. It's just an outlet for something like whatever the case may be. There's a million different reasons, but it all goes back to, you know, guys being cut from the same cloth and understanding what it's all about and, and doing it the same way.
1: I feel like you and Sean Thornton would enjoy a beer together, right? Like you guys might be the best pals in the world despite fighting nobody else more. Or maybe <laughs> you said maybe one other guy, but that's kind of cool.
0: It's odd. We didn't fight that much because we hated each other. We fought that much probably because we respected each other. And, uh, He reached out to me one time, he got in some trouble with the media and the league and got
1: suspended when he... Let's walk through this. Brooks Orpik is playing for Pittsburgh. Sean Thornton plays for Boston, as we've seen throughout the show. And there's a little bit of a, you know, gathering here. Orpik goes down to the ice, and Thornton sort of gives him some gloved little punches to the face. Nothing serious, we think. Gives him the business. (laughs) He (laughs) got hit after the plate. Now Thornton pulls down Orpik and pounds him when he's down. The scrum, and now they're they're calling for the Pittsburgh trainer to come off the bench. Now we have got a bad situation here.
0: It's uh, that's just wild to me. If you watch the tape, he goes in. They call it a slew foot. He goes in there and he definitely like slew foot but he, he falls down so slowly and just kind of falls back onto his elbow, like not even remotely violently. Then he keeps his gloves on and gives him the business, gives him these pot shots on his face saying, you like that? You don't You do not do that shit. We don't put up with that, hey? Like, you don't do that to our team just so you know. This is what happens if you fuck around like that. Orpik lays there until the stretcher comes out. I swear to God, if he gets up and, and starts, uh, you know, trying to defend himself or whatever, barely really. anything would have come yeah. of it. But Orpik lays there Gets the stretcher taken out. I'm. I don't. He was not even injured. He was right back to playing. Why the stretcher came out reminds me of my like U nine team saying, "Get the hell off the ice if you're not hurt." I guess he didn't get the memo. But. After that game, they asked my opinion of that in the media scrum when I'm in, I believe Toronto, might have been Philly. And I said, you know, you media guys make such a mountain out of a molehill. I said, you're talking about assault, potential, uh t- they were the guys were saying Charges. potential paralyzation, like just outrageous stuff. Like, let's make a mountain out of a molehill. Hey, I said, you guys are so out to lunch. You write your little columns, you try to see how many clicks you can get. It's fucking embarrassing. Call it what it was. He goes and puts the guy on the ground, gives him a couple pot shots with a padded glove. And you guys are acting like it's fucking close to murder. It's
1: pathetic. I said, give your heads a shake. So that went off in the media. It's you and Matt Cassian in Ottawa. So I don't, I, I, you're probably playing for Toronto at the time and Cassian's playing for Ottawa. And both of you were asked because it was a big media thing about like this, right. the, what's happened to the state of the game. Does this changes? Is it too violent? Blah, blah, blah. And Cassian saying like, look, Orpic laid out a hit where the puck was nowhere nearby. That was way more dangerous than anything Sean Thornton did. And you're saying you guys are making a mountain out of a molehill here. And so, yeah, like two tough guys. You must've been in Ottawa. Ottawa is visiting you. You both comment and saying like, this is blown out of proportion completely. And I feel like uh, in hindsight, you're probably right.
0: Yeah, it was funny, but uh, I stuck up from there. I usually didn't get to, you know, polarizing in the media or anything like that. The odd time I was interviewed, I'd said that and there was some, you know, those Toronto star Toronto Sun reporters or whoever Oh, they had something to say about what a idiotic comments mine were and all that stuff. So I was like, oh, here we go. But the level of respect, like I've mentioned, I had for Sean, I felt like when I was asked, I should stick up for him and say Mm -hmm. what I really thought he'd reached out to me. We were at breakfast, I don't know, the next day and an unknown number texted me. It said, Hey Rosie, it's authority. Really appreciate you sticking up for me in the media. I can't believe the way that whole thing blew up like that. He had a suspension laid down on him and some fines and whatever, but he said, really respect the way you go about your business. If you're ever in Boston, you want to go to a Patriots game, a a Bosox game. You let me know. I've got you set up with whatever you need. Let me know when you're in town. Be great to grab a beer kind of thing. And, I just chuckled and and wrote him back and said, yeah, that about sums that guy up. You know, he's just salt to the earth type guy. And I think all of his teammates throughout the years would
1: say the exact same thing cool that, that is a fraternity of sorts is it not we'll finish the uh the program with the fight of the week i love it when we get real good players not to suggest that guys that scrap a out aren't but like high skill players that say screw this we're shedding the myth. so we have 12th overall cole sillinger the blue jackets against vinnie dunn who i believe leads his team in scoring or did last year dunn's been unbelievable since coming to over to from st louis to seattle let's stick by sillinger oh
0: Yeah, this both these guys. I mean, cylinder. I didn't realize, and Dunn's tough guy too. But uh, well, do we even touch on the fact that the defenseman turns his back last second to the guy to get buried, which starts this whole thing? Who is that number ten there on the cracks? My God,
1: that's the four, the centerman. Yeah.
0: Could you have put yourself in a worse position? Watch the replay. He literally looks, opens up his chest to the to the forechecking player sees that he's coming, then completely turns his back and dumps it. Guys can't stop on a dime, man. Look at, looks at him. Nope, turn my back. Oh, I can't believe he hit me. But the the way Dunn comes in there flying and absolutely throwing bombs. I mean... Talk about taking care of business. I love it. Like, say what you want about the the fights after hits and guys turning their backs. That's kind of a different conversation. But the guy came in there, no holds barred, unacceptable. Like, there wasn't a second thought about it. He came flying in there. Just throwing bombs. I mean, those are the best fights to me where they just happen organically yep. out of the blue and there's no dicking around. There's no holding on. There's no waiting to see if I got my grab correctly or or let's you know, it's it's just boom. We are going, fists <laughs> are flying. And I mean, that was just a prime example of don't touch our guys or I'll feed you your lunch. And it, it looked beautiful.
1: Vinny Dunn a little better than I thought he'd do. And Cole Sillinger's son of an NHL, I believe Mike's his dad, who played for a bunch of teams. Cole, what are you doing wearing for? You're a forward. Like what what the fuck <laughs> you can't be wearing four know. that's like that's a d-man number what are you doing
0: <laughs> it sure is i don't know how that happened there's got to be a story behind it why why a forward would want, is there another cylinder four. that got
1: called up they, they can't be
0: cole we're in
1: number four he's a
0: center that Dun guy was the guy that remember a few years back that curtis gabriel they were down in chicago down in the tunnel and they were walking off the ice they both got kicked out tripping back and forth okay. gabriel walks across i remember in chicago there walks across and like on the ground when they're kicked out gets in his face starts shoving them and uh cold knocked him cold out man it was on it he was on it? the jumbotron yes and wow. Don knocks out Gabriel cold I'll uh we'll have to pull it up for next week or something but um a little little side story from there I remember that because the bench was watching this happen in the tunnel off on the ice, jumbotron and the bench <laughs> The bench went bananas, knocking on the boards and celebrating this fight that was taking place from two tough guys in the goddamn tunnel after uh, an ejection, which is pretty rare.
1: Great stuff this week, Rosie. We got a, we got we dove into your history there. I think we got between the years on the, on the psyche of a scrapper in the NHL, and I love it. I, every show I do with you, I'm just—he was braver than I thought he was last week, and last last week he was the bravest guy I knew. Like you, you
0: <laughs> balls out, man. I don't know. Whew. It feels weird talking about myself like that. Uh, there is far tougher guys that did the job better than me for longer and everything else, but I don't mind talking about it. And if I can give some insight on my experiences, uh, I'm all for it, man. It's what this show's about. And uh, hopefully, the people watching behind who follow hockeyfights.com and follow this show uh, enjoy a little bit of it.
1: Love it. Uh, we'll see you this weekend. Uh, pull back the curtain. We're both going to be up in Jasper, Alberta. A beautiful mountain town in a national park mm. for a pond hockey tournament. It was like minus 40 there last weekend, which Fahrenheit and Celsius is the same. doesn't even matter. And now we're like right around freezing this weekend. We've timed this perfectly. Do I yeah. need tie downs for the pond hockey tournament, Jay? We're playing Friday night. It's the opening match. Your team, my team. Should I be worried? Dude. I'm out there to play a little defense and dish the rock. I've got no
0: (laughs) intentions of being greasy or slimy out there, but my co-host on Lee's Morning Take, Nick Alberga, I don't know, man. All this guy talks about is his Sunday night beer leagues. He says he's not very good at all. I can see him just dusting it up out there, but he's already talking about losing it on a guy that touches him and going after you for some reason, and I'm just sitting there going, I cannot... I cannot believe I'm going to have to clean up your bullshit this weekend, but we'll see how it goes, man. I'll have to analyze your roster too, see who you got over there. Maybe I'll be shying away from some of the guys.
1: We'll see if that whole uh, narrative of the tough guys settling down the the dirty stuff. We'll see if that works uh, this weekend. Thanks for listening and watching. Uh, We'll again, encourage you to check out our stuff, obviously on YouTube. If you're seeing this, maybe it's a social clip or whatever. uh, You can always get the audio long form. Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, anywhere you get your podcasts, we're up there as well. And of course, as always, big shout out to our pals at HockeyFights.com for all the great footage from almost 15 years ago, some of that stuff, Jay. Uh, we'll see you next week. Good luck this weekend, kind of. You bet. We'll see you out there.
0: I didn't come to see Gretzky. I didn't come to see Lemieux. Any of those other pretty boys and all that fancy stuff to do it came to see the Handsome brothers. Take on Dave the Hammer Schultz Drop their gloves, do the tango
1: And beat each other to a bloody pole
0: Wanna see a hockey fight Little Donny Brooke, a little boo-ha-ha The bar team should score tonight We all
1: can yell hurrah, hurrah